Well, good evening. Glad to have you all back. I'm really impressed with the crowd because I thought maybe on a holiday weekend of sorts that you all would play hooky. I even kind of fussed at you this morning and you showed up anyway. So I tell you what, I'm I'm happy. I've been told I got to get you out of here because there's a break in the weather about maybe 7.15, but I don't know, I was thinking if I hold you over to about 8.30, that'll be the next break in the storm, so. <laughs> a teenage boy had just passed his driving test, and by the way, I think it's awful that when a 14-year-old from another state thinks that they can come to Kentucky and just do what they want to do. Now, I don't know if I hope you all made it home safe this morning, but there's a little girl here from Arkansas who's 14. And apparently in that heathen state, you can drive a car when you're 14, but you can't here. Well, my, my, my favorite little Arkansas girl, this is human highlight, this, uh, this girl over here in the neon highlighter uniform, she drove her uncle around today. And, uh, but, but anyway, this is my point bringing up this joke. A teenage boy had just passed his driving test and inquired of his father as to when they could discuss his use of the car. His father said he'd make a deal with his son. You bring your grades up from a C to a B average, study your Bible a little more, and get your hair cut. Then we'll talk about the car. The boy thought about that for a moment, decided he'd settle for the offer, and they agreed on it. After about six weeks, his father said, son, you've brought your grades up. I've observed that you've been studying your Bible, but I'm disappointed you haven't had your hair cut. The boy said, you know, Dad, I've been thinking about that, and I've noticed in my studies of the Bible that Samson had long hair, John the Baptist had long hair, Moses had long hair, and there's even a strong evidence that Jesus had long hair. Dad looked at him in a stern look, said, did you also notice they walked everywhere they went? Tonight's kind of a history lesson of sorts. Some stuff you probably know, some know well, and some you you may not know. I won't hold you long tonight, but we need to be reminded. I'm always overcome with patriotism this time of year. I hope that we all are, and I hope we never lose that. I'm glad that we were able to honor our veterans this morning, and I hope we do it again on Veterans Day. I hope we never stop doing that. I hope this is a church that, that honors its veterans always and appreciates their service. But there's value in America being a Christian nation. I even created a PowerPoint. I'm not a real good PowerPoint savvy person, so you'll see a few mistakes along. I apologize in advance. But maybe. Joe, my, there we go. Whew. Boy, whoo, Lord. That's like waking up to a... I've never had a hangover, but I suspect that was it right there. (laughs) You know, uh, that guy there created a little firestorm in many ways. Uh, But at a press conference in Turkey in August of 2009, he was asked about America being a Christian nation. And his quote was, we do not consider ourselves a Christian nation or a Jewish nation or even a Muslim nation. We consider ourselves to be a nation of citizens who are bound by ideals and a set of values. Now, that sounds sweet and inviting, doesn't it? But, but he has fallen way short of what we are and how we succeed. 
And, and, and I thought it was, uh, uh, you know, he did a lot, in my opinion, to set us back with race relations. He did a lot to set us back from, uh, from the crash course that we're currently on now. And I'm not here to bash on Obama, but, but I just pointed out that he, 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 said a, he said a lot in that statement right there, and he caught criticism for it. But here we are, I don't know, 14 years later, and I just wonder if Biden said that very same thing if there would be a firestorm. I just wonder if, if the controversy that existed when he said that, would there be that same controversy? Now, you see, I think you all would agree that we're slipping and we're sliding away from a Christian nation. We've talked about it many times. Our media is controlled by atheists, deists, people that have an agenda. Our public school system, unfortunately, has a, has a massive influence of people that I would consider unbelievers and they're promoting an agenda. Our culture, my brother Chris talked about it this morning, it's sad. Uh, I read just today Todd Starnes' email. Albany, California, their city council voted. They've got a 20-foot cross that overlooks the city. A 20-foot cross, not hurting anybody. It was placed there in 1971 by the Lions Club. And people appreciated that cross. Cross Many times people would go to that cross. They would have a church service, a devotion service. Well, the city council voted just this week to have that cross taken down. Because the good citizens of freedom from religion, they started a lawsuit in 2015. 2015, here we are, eight years later, and the city council said, enough. We're tired of fighting. Go ahead and take it down. You can worship in your home. And you see how we lose our fight. We lose our zeal. We lose our desire. And I'm thankful that, that the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence and the 250-plus founders of our, of, of our country didn't lose that desire. Because the, the Revolutionary War, as you know, wasn't just a battle or two. It was drawn out over eight years, and it took us many more years, seven years, and many more years beyond that to set this country afloat and get it headed in the right direction. So we really are a Christian nation, and there really is a value in us being a Christian nation. He talked about it a lot this morning with the breakdown of the family. The Bible gives you a recipe of success. It's very clear. The nuclear family. But the nuclear family is under attack we think that somehow two women can raise a kid, that two men can raise a kid. And, and I know that there are loving people, and they provide ingredients to those kids, but it's not the Bible way. Everybody talks about their high suicide because of us. They blame it on us somehow, and it's a backward way of thinking. But, but when, when kids contemplate suicide because they're questioning their gender, they somehow blame that on Christianity. But yet we've been able to get by pretty good for 240-plus years without that. But all of a sudden now, in order to make us feel bad and get us to hush, they blame it on us. Well, you're the reason these kids contemplate suicide. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should be quiet. You should take your cross down as it sits on that hill. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your worship amongst your four walls. And don't bother me. And that's a growing ideology, unfortunately. There we go. Now, I cited this the last time I spoke, I think, or maybe Pew Research Study. 
1972, 92% of Americans said they were Christian. And they estimate by 2070 that the number will drop below 50. I would estimate we're very close to that now. Now, we're cushioned. We're insulated around here. Fortunately, as you drive along the parkway, the the, uh, the, Cum- the uh, Cumberland Parkway, you'll see three crosses. You'll see one on, and as you drive toward Somerset and as you head toward Russell Springs, you'll see the big, massive cross. And I've heard people say, well, I should have found a better way to spend their money. They could help a lot of people, and they put that old cross up. But yet when I read articles like I read today about Albany, California, I'm thankful that cross is there. Thousands of people drive by every day in whatever walk of life that they find themselves. Some believers, some not, some don't even know what they believe. But when they drive by that cross, there's a subtle message that's driven into their mind. And it causes them to think, causes me to think when I drive by about my relationship with the Christ, my relationship with that cross and what that cross did for me. But yet there's a Side of Christianity, well, you know what? They could have helped out a lot of poor people. This nation is blessed. I read the other day, and I'm not laughing, but kind of am, that Mississippi is the poorest state in the Union. You want to know what the most obese state in the Union is? Mississippi, well, Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky's the poorest, or I'm sorry, Mississippi's the poorest but they're also the most obese state. Make that make sense. That just shows you what a fruitful nation we have, how blessed a nation we are. That's one of those little side notes that kind of hits you after you look at it for a second. Wait, what? But I suspect that we're well on our way to 50%. You read some of the comments on in social media that are just uh, last week, the, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a, a good Christian ruling. They said that the young lady in, in West, the, she, uh, Western uh, United States and Colorado, I believe, that, that she, didn't have to, uh, she didn't have to cater to the LGD, LGB, whatever, <laughs> the alphabet mafia. She, she didn't have to cater to them. That was a win for Christianity. But, boy, the hate that followed with that. Just vile hatred, atheists just can't believe in God. How can God? How can God be such a good God when He allows so many bad things to happen? I mean, you always they always correlate that with 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 God, and they somehow uh, they somehow want to put God down, or somehow want to separate Him from our blessings that we've received in this nation. And we're going to talk about that as we go along. History lesson. The lives of our forefathers. This is a review for many of you. There were 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. But there are 250 plus men that are considered to be, have influenced the founding era, founding era. Like George Washington. You won't find his name on the Declaration of Independence. You won't find John Jay's name on the Declaration of Independence. But they were founding fathers. I think we would all agree with that. Half of the 56 had Bible names. That's kind of one of those little subtle hints that, yeah, we might be a Christian nation. A lot of you in here are named after Bible characters of the Bible. But that's a pretty good indicator right there that half of the 56 that signed our Declaration of Independence, almost half of them, or more than half of them, had, 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 Bible in their, had a Bible name. They were named after a, a person or character in the Bible. 
Five of the 56 were captured and tortured by the British. This helps as a visual reminder for us of what the sacrifice really is. Twelve of those 56 lost their homes to looting, confiscation, and their burning. Seventeen lost their fortunes. I read in preparation for this message that there were far more men that died from disease in the elements than what the British actually killed. I think 6,800 the British killed, and it was well into the tens of thousands of those that died due to disease. Who funded that? We were a beginning nation. We couldn't, we couldn't print money then like we do now. These men funded the war effort with which to separate from Great Britain. Seventeen of them lost their complete fortune. Two lost their sons in military service. Had a conversation not too long ago with a, with a man and a woman. If I said their names, you would know them well, and I'm not here to, to pick on anybody. But they were talking about their son, and he was kind of wayward. He wasn't really sure what he wasn't really sure what they wanted him to do with his life, and he was kind of back and forth on what he wanted to do. Good kid, but he was kind of back and forth what he wanted to do. And and I said, why don't you encourage him to be a trooper? Kentucky State Police needs good people. You've raised a good son. Why not? Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. Something might happen to him. And then they realized, wait, you got your son's a trooper. Look, we somehow feel like, and, I, and I've had this sentiment, that we're doing our kids a favor by keeping them from service. I'm thankful my son's a trooper. I didn't push him to do it, but I'm thankful he's doing it. Because if he doesn't do it, then who will? Don't ever... Don't ever not push your children, your grandchildren, toward public service. If they want to go in the military, you encourage them to do that. Don't ever say, well, you could get killed. Look, I know it's, it's hard being a cop right now. It's really difficult. It's really difficult to be in corrections. It's really difficult to be in an in a, in a occupation where you're scrutinized for every move that you make, and we're going to stick a, a, a big camera on you, and boy, if you mess up, we're going to go back and punish you hard. It's really hard to recruit people to want to do that job because now you're guilty to prove an innocent if you're the police. That's just the reality. It's a culture we live in. And it causes kids, young men, young women, nah, I don't think I want to do that. But listen, now more than ever before, we need good Christian men and women in public service, be it in the Marine Corps, be it in the State Police Corps, be it in the local police department, the local fire department, corrections, we need good men and women standing up and accepting the call. But you see here, it may cost you. It may come at a sacrifice because two lost their sons in military service. Two had sons captured and tortured by the British. Nine of the 56 signers of the Declaration were killed. They signed their name on that piece of paper and they were targets by the British, hunted down and killed. But we know that we're blessed today because of that. Sacrifice equals freedom. Sacrifice equals freedom. So what motivated these men? What's the common denominator? What's that fiber that we've seen 
that as we research and we study the lives of these men, what's the fiber that, that helped them, that caused them to know that this is not a waste? We believe in this, and we're going to pursue this. Do you know that the Bible is the most quoted source from our founding fathers 34% of the time? 34% of the time. Four times higher than the second most quoted source, which was William Blackstone's commentaries on the laws of England and John Locke's true two treatises of government. So that's the common denominator. Thomas Jefferson. All we're told, he's a deist. And a deist is one that believes, yeah, they acknowledge a creator, but to think that he could somehow walk on water or be born of a virgin, nah, we're not going that far. Now that's what, that's what our culture says about Thomas Jefferson. Now the latest thing is, well, did you know Thomas Jefferson had slaves? We can't count Thomas Jefferson. He had slaves. That's how they attack these men. And they tear them down. But did you know that this deist, this man who haphazardly looked at Christianity, did you know that every time he signed a document, he signed it in the year of our Lord Christ? I wouldn't consider myself a deist, but I don't sign my paperwork with the appellation like that right there. And there's the picture. In the year of our Lord Christ. Let that sink in. This is the father, the, oftentimes the father of our Constitution right here. But this is the one that they attack. Oh, he, he, we're not a Christian nation. He was just a deist. It didn't mean that much to him. But yet, that's pretty good evidence. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson also instructed the Marine Corps band John, to play church services at the White House and the Capitol. Boy, could you imagine the outcry if we did that now. A public building, mind you. We've come a long way. There's value in America being a Christian nation. There's old Ben Franklin, the scientist, the creator, the inventor. In writing his prayer speech at the Constitutional Convention of 1787, We've been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. You've recognized that statement because Psalm 127 in verse 1. So here's a man, who, and he referenced the Bible at least three more times in that same speech. So this is a man who they say is a deist. This is a man who they blow off as, well, he really didn't have a lot to do with Christianity. He was a naysayer, if you will. I read one article about Franklin. They want to disguise his commitment level. They call him a name that's not true, but yet he references the Scripture. John Jay, he was a forefather, didn't sign the declaration, but he was the first Supreme Court Chief Justice. Look what he had to say about the Bible. The Bible is the best of all books, for it is the Word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and in the next. Continue, therefore, to read it and to regulate your life by its precepts. That sounds like a preacher, not a Supreme Court justice. Are we on, are we on Facebook Live? Okay, I, I can't say what I want to say. <laughs> anyway, moving along. But that was a letter to his son in April the 9th, 1784. The importance of the Bible. 
What a legacy to lay down for your children. The Bible is the best of all books, for it is the Word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and in the next. Continue, therefore, to read it and to regulate your life by its precepts. Do you read it? Does it regulate your life's precepts? There's four references about God in the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, and you ought to read the Declaration of Independence. I read it yesterday and I read it again today. Right here in the opening paragraph, they debunk climate change. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands. We were upset with the British government, and we're announcing in our Declaration of Independence that there are 27 grievances that we're unhappy about. And we're announcing to you, O King of Britain, that we're going to separate from you. So we're going to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with to and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, debunking climate change even in 1776. What's the second reference? We hold these truths. Now, Martin Luther King said this, but this was more designed for everyone, not particularly a set of skin color. This was for everyone. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. Looky there, another reference about God. With certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have that afforded in our country. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress, assembled appealing to the what? Supreme Judge of the world. And the fourth, and I want you to catch this point, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Now we'd been, in the the previous three references, we'd been past tense. But look what we do here with the fourth point. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance, insert going forward, on a protection of divine providence. You see, our forefathers knew, as just like the Israelites would learn the hard way, through plagues or through hardships or through wandering in the wilderness, our forefathers knew if we honor God, if we're faithful to God, He will in turn protect us. He will in turn help us. He will in turn watch out for us. I'm a little nervous this day and time. With all this tranny business and all this nonsense that's going on and, 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 and somehow the church, as I referenced in the outset, somehow the church is the problem now and we defy God and we defy his principles. Yeah, I can see God taking his protection away from us. He has in many ways already. I mean, I don't think that's a foolish assertion when you can read in the Old Testament time after time after time, he did it for the Israelites. He took their protection away. And the Amalekites and the Philistines, they, they had their way with them for the longest time. And then, and then what would happen? The Israelites would get faithful again, wouldn't they? They would learn their lesson and they would come back to God and God would protect them. You read a story such this morning. He read you a story in David. There's no scientific way possible that David can defeat Goliath. 
The little old young boy could take a rock and somehow kill a giant nine-foot man. The providence of God. This nation has had this providence. And our forefathers realized if we maintain that mindset going forward, we will prevail. Let's talk about the providence of God. Divine providence, the War of 1812. Some call this the Second Revolutionary War. That we whipped the British the first time, they went on back, they licked their wounds, and here they come again about 1812. And, and if you read the timeline, if you just look, if you just Google War of 1812 timeline, you'll see that that particular date is left out. I don't think that's by accident. August the 25th, 1814. It's kind of an odd time to have a tornado, isn't it? What happened? I mean, the British had taken over D.C., they had burned the White House. They were The Brits, during this time, that was their thing. They liked to burn buildings. And they went around D.C. setting fire to the building. Our president, James Madison, and his wife, Dolly, were on the run. I would say that the nation was in dire. But look what happened. Divine providence. Now, that's a statement from the National Weather Service right there, okay? That's not a statement from some Christian... Uh, a uh, person, a uh, preacher, that's not a statement from some Christian historian. That's a statement from the National Weather Service right there. More British soldiers were killed by the tornadoes flying debris than by the guns of the American resistance. Our capital had fallen. The house in which we hold our president was burned. And God said, no, Enough. I'm going to intervene, and I'm going to send a tornado in August. We don't get tornadoes in August. I think there's been like maybe two tornadoes in D.C. since then. More British soldiers were killed by the tornadoes flying debris than by the guns of the American resistance. You know what? About three months later, the Brits surrendered to us, and we won our independence again. A country saved by a tornado. Imagine that. A country saved by a tornado. And you know what else came out of this war? It was our star-spangled banner. And I've got a story that's, that's well-spoken, can describe it much better than me. And for the next 11 or 12 minutes, sit with me as we watch this video. And, we, and many of you may have seen it, but I always like to play it around this time of year. And it reveals the importance. It's not just a song that we sing. It reminds us of what true sacrifice is. So pay attention as we walk along. Somebody might get the lights. was a lawyer once. His name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game. We stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song and they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. 
Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore. The colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. And they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. And they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one -one basis. Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity, men. And he said, men, I've got news for you tonight, you're free. He said, tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies. He said, you'll be taken out of this boat, out of this filth, out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the admiral came and he said, we have a slight problem. He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. And Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's, that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. He said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them a way out. And he said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. And we'll know that they've surrendered. And you'll now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. And they said, how many ships? He said, hundreds. The ships got closer. Francis Scott Key went back up on top and he said, men, I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch. As twilight began to fall and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, Suddenly, the British war fleet unleashed. <clears throat> he says the sound was deafening. There were so many guns that there were no reliefs. He said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear. He said suddenly the sky, although dark, was suddenly lit. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners saying was, tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? 
Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling. Every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb. And Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane. He said, what's the matter with them? He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? Francis Scott Key said he remembered what George Washington had said. He said, the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The Admiral said, we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on the rampart to take that flag down. He said, we don't understand something. Our reconnaissance tells us that that flag has been hit directly again and again and again, and yet it's still flying. We don't understand that. But he said, now we're about to bring every gun for the next three hours to bear on that point. Francis Scott Key said the barrage was unmerciful. All that he could hear was the men down below praying. The prayer. God, keep that flag flying where we last saw it. Sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land, but the rampart was tall enough. There stood the flag completely nondescript in shreds. The flagpole itself was at a crazy angle, but the flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key went aboard and immediately went into Fort Henry to see what had happened. And what he found had happened was that that flagpole and that flag had suffered repetitious direct hits. And when hit had fallen. But men, fathers, who knew what it meant for that flag to be on the ground, although knowing that all of the British guns were trained on it, walked over and held it up humanly until they died. Their bodies were removed and others took their place. Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were patriots' bodies. He penned the song, Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Or the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet fly and wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? The debt was demanded. The price, it was paid. 
Be seated. One other really quick point, and we'll close it down. But that's a good reminder of sacrifice. It may be seven men standing in front of a church. It may be remembering just civilians who knew the cost. That flag is going to fly. And it's easy. I mean, history's not always... We don't really enjoy it. I mean, I got a history degree, but a lot of people, if they check the box, their least favorite in school subject, it would be history. But we can't ignore that nugget of history. The sacrifice of men and women. Those guns were honed in on that fort, and they knew if you'll just tear that flag down and walk away. But they refused to do that, sacrificing their body. And I appreciate that illustration in that video to remind us what sacrifice. Because listen, we sit here today comfortably. We're a blessed church. We've got a great HVAC system. We're not hungry. 
we're safe, we're secure because of sacrifice of veterans, men and women alike who have answered the call, stood in harm's way, and many of them have given the ultimate sacrifice. And I'll close with this. So, so listen, you be proud of your American heritage. Yes, we are a Christian nation. You be proud of that. You go to a ball game, you sing the Star Spangled Banner. If you catch yourself walking in and you hear it being played, you stop in your tracks and you put your hand over your heart and you be thankful that God placed you in this great country. And tell your kids to be thankful. Introduce your kids to veterans. Talk about the service and the sacrifice because that's the only way we win going forward. If we teach it to our kids that, hey, there may be a sacrifice at some point that you're going to have to give. And teach your kids, Patrick Henry, we know him, give me liberty or give me death. He said that in the, in, in the, uh, in the very initial beginning of the, uh, of the revolution. And it, it's known as an outcry. It stirred up people. Give me liberty or give me death. No longer British rule. But I probably like him most for what he said right here. And this is actually in his last will and testament. Many of you have already read it. I have now given everything I own to my children. But there's one more thing I wish I could give them, and that is Christ. Because if they have everything and I gave them, if they have everything I gave them and they don't have Christ, they have nothing. It's important that we pass down our Christian heritage to our children, to our grandchildren to our nieces, to our nephews. Because we sit here today at the cost of great sacrifice. Thank you for your attention. I appreciate this little walk through history tonight. I hope maybe I've given you something to encourage you, to make you feel good about where God placed you. But we have to pass the torch, so to speak. We can't let it die. We have to constantly talk about and motivate and encourage part of losing our Christian fiber and our culture is taking away the service that the, the mindset, the Christian mindset brings with that. So it's important that we, every opportunity we can, share that with our loved ones, share that within our small corner of the world, and we can't let that die. We can't let that die. So if you all would stand with me, if you, if you would, please. And we'll be dismissed while the sun is shining. Charles, would you dismiss us, please, sir?